Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. God is good. Oh, man, I'm so glad. Hey, I want to encourage you that, man, this week you're like, man, I took the challenge last week. I held the thing up. Man, the whole church did. It was it was phenomenal morning, and and uh, it's, it's an exciting thing to see. And by the way, thank you for being here today. You're those kind of Christians like those guys uh, uh, last night at that game. I don't know if any of y'all watched that game. Uh, but, boy, there were guys in the stands in that weather with no shirt on. I told Janae that if you want to look for the definition of idiot, that is it right there. And I think the commentators even said, these guys are stupid. And <laughs> I mean, just flat out. But you're those kind of people. You're dedicated. You're out. You're coming. No, And, and I just want to know, I just want to let you know we're going to be here a while because the ladies in the back asked me, preach until it's warm outside. So just, you know, hold on. But I want to say thank you for coming. And if you just joined, if you did the challenge, but man, maybe you missed a day or maybe you weren't able to, you tried to fit it exactly where you thought you'd succeed the most, or maybe you didn't get it all. Listen, don't stop. Don't go, well, I just can't do this. No. Remember, it's about the power of four. And, and just keep going, keep challenging yourself and do it as unto the Lord. Just, just relate to him. It's just one chapter. Ask God what he's saying to you and then pray, write your prayer out. And I'm just telling you, you're going to see life-changing things happen if you'll do this consistently. So take the challenge. And you say, well, I wasn't here last weekend. I'd like to take the challenge. You can still take the challenge. There's only, uh, I guess, 11 days left on the challenge, but you can take the challenge for the 11 days that are left. We have journals in the back. Just grab you one on the way out. Somebody can give you the information of exactly what it means, and we would love for you to be a part because I know it will change your life. It's changed my life over the years, and I know it will change yours. So today we're continuing the message series, The Challenge, and I want to talk to you today about the process of the challenge. So let's read our text together. And what this basically is about is what it takes for the challenge to become our lifestyle. Because following Jesus is not a religious duty. It's not a religious practice. It's a lifestyle relationship. And that's what we want to have in our lives. So Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if you have your Bible or your device, or you can just look up on the screen. And by the way, I would just tell you that if you don't have our app, go ahead and download it because all the notes are there. And you can fill in the notes and take your own notes and you can save those for yourself. So Luke chapter 9, verse 23, NIV. Everyone read it with me. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we came here today to hear from you. We came here today to lift up your name together with our brothers and sisters in Christ to gain strength, to be touched by your Holy Spirit, to remember what you've done for us, to praise your name and to hear your word. And we ask you, Father, that that's exactly what will happen. That, Lord, use my mouth, use my mind, use my heart, and move myself out of the way and speak through me today. Lord, help every heart to be open. Help the soil of every heart to be good. And help us to receive your word like a seed planted in good soil. 
that will bring forth fruit in our lives and that it will impact not only us but everyone around us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. The challenge is a daily spiritual process. Paul described it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. In the NIV, it said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now think about what Paul is saying. What, what is he saying here? He's saying, when I received Jesus, when I decided to follow Jesus and be his disciple, I made a decision to give up myself. See, because that's what, that's what salvation is. That's what following Jesus is. And unfortunately, over the years, a lot of times in the church, we have not taken the time to really teach people this part. We've treated Christianity or the experience of salvation as if it were merely a decision you make, pray a prayer, do a religious exercise called baptism, and then it's all good. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to think about it anymore. You have to, and, and, and I know so many people that may go through religious motions throughout their life, but aren't truly dedicated to God. And they think that that's okay. That's the way it is. And truthfully, I tell you, that is not the way it is. And it's not okay because this is not a religious experience. Following Christ is a relationship with him. We cannot do anything to earn a relationship with Jesus. We can't do anything. We're not righteous enough. We couldn't be righteous enough. I couldn't do enough good works to, to get me into heaven. So I need Jesus to save me and change me. And the reason why I can't do enough good works to save myself and, and the reason why uh, salvation comes by faith through grace is because we are human and if God didn't give us to us freely, we'd claim we did it for ourselves. But once we have made that decision to follow Christ, ask him to come into our life and he regenerates us or causes us to be born again. The Bible talks about in John chapter three, Jesus and Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. Well, that born again experience is a change that happens on the inside of you, but that is not the end. It's only the beginning. And what begins at that moment is the beginning of a relationship. Matter of fact, I would beg to say that even before that moment, a relationship has begun. Because here's what we know about salvation. The Bible says you cannot come to God unless the Holy Spirit draws you. So really, even before you give your life to Jesus, God has initiated a relationship with you. And he said, I want you to be in my family. That conviction you feel, maybe guilt that you feel, maybe, maybe that, that, that feeling of something's not right or uh, I, I, something's missing in my life. You know, every single person on the planet is spiritually thirsty, spiritually hungry. That spiritual thirst and spiritual hunger isn't just for people who are revive, in revival or who are that extreme, intense believer who's really following Jesus. No, every single person on the planet has spiritual hunger and thirst for God. They just don't know what to call it. The Bible says that God placed eternity in our hearts. And here's all that means. It means that God makes you, every human being, aware in the deepest parts of themselves that there's more than this life. 
and that there is a connection needed between us and him. And people seek out for that connection. They try it with life. They try it with money. They try it with relationships. They try it with substances. They try it with different religious ideologies. And they try to find what's going to make me happier. What's going to make me feel better. What's going to make my life change. What's going to do it for me. And really the only thing that can satisfy a soul is a relationship with his creator. And our creator is Father God, Yahweh, El Elyon. El Shaddai, the God of all things, the creator of all that exists and the sustainer of the same. This is who we serve. And our father God sent his son, Jesus, perfect spotless lamb, to pay the price and penalty for our sins so that we could be saved. And on the inside, God could begin to change who we are. It's not something that happens from the outside. It's something that happens from the inside. God touches your heart and things begin to change. And in that moment of regeneration, that moment of being born again, everything does change. You have this sense of, you may not feel a lot of emotions. You may feel a lot of emotions. But you have this sense of, I, I am my, you know what has happened, you may not realize it, is you've come from death to life. God resurrected your spirit. Your spirit was void. Your spirit was uh, 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 in, 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 in a place of basic non-existence and it was dead. The Bible said we were dead in trespasses and in sins. So when God touches us, he's not just making us moral people. No, he's not making wrong people right. He's making dead people live. And when we have that relationship, it doesn't mean that everything is perfect then. It doesn't mean that now that I'm born again and my life has changed, that now everything's going to work out for me. Now everything's going to be fine. Now everything's going to go well. And I'm going to be perfect and whole. And I'm going to never, ever, ever be tempted again. And I'm never, ever going to sin again. Man, I am born again. How many of you are born again and you have not had that experience? How many, how many can say that, that that's me? Uh, because that's not the way this works. Because in the process of that born-again experience, then there's a need for relationship. And the reason there's a need for relationship is because of this word renewal. I, in my spirit, am now alive. But I still have a flesh. I still have carnality in my soul. I still have this thing pulling against the righteousness in me. I have this, this old man, as Paul calls him, the old me, the old me that's constantly pulling against the new me to get me to be the old me again. It's that sin nature, it's, and, and, and it partners with the demonic influences of satanic forces that try to tempt you and pull you away. But remember, even though the devil is tempting you, you're pulled away by your own lusts. That's what the Bible says. So what we have to do is understand that there is a need for relationship because relationship brings renewal. And it changes my thinking. It changes my mind, my will, my emotions. It brings my life into a relationship and into renewal with my spirit as I am following the Holy Spirit who's leading me into all righteousness and into all truth. Is everybody with me this morning? Is making any sense to you at all? So I want you to understand that it's not the end. It's the beginning when we decide to follow Christ. And then Jesus doesn't just say, all right, now you're saved. And now everything is just going to be the same way it always has been. You, you, you got your fire insurance. You're not going to hell. All good. Not the way it works. 
The Bible is very clear and tells us to work out our own salvation. The Bible is very clear to tell us that this is a relationship and there's a transformation that happens over time. You've heard me talk about it before, but Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says it very clearly that we should be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. So here's, let's, let's break that down. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't be made like the old you, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind into what God has wanted you to become. So in other words, say no to the old and yes to the new. And this is a process. And how do we know it's a process? Because of that word transformation. It's derived from a word in the Greek, metamorpho, which is where we get the word metamorphosis. So Romans, I mean, Paul is telling us in Romans, he's saying there is a process that happens in you once you've decided to follow Jesus and you've been saved and born again, that over time and sometimes pressure, changes and sanctification starts happening in your life. In other words, God sets you apart to be his and not yours. To be his and not the world's. To be his and not the devil's. Come on. You do realize that before you came to know Jesus, you were in the family of the devil. That's not something that even Paul or Peter wrote. That's something Jesus wrote. He said, I, 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 I tell you the truth, you're a hypocrite because you're of the fa you're a father, the devil. You're lying because he's a liar. Oh, come on. Y'all like, I was, never, I was never part of the family of the devil. I've always been good, always. Yeah, you're the most conniving person in here. I mean, come on, somebody. Yes. Anybody who convinces themselves they're perfect, look out. Paul is saying, I made a decision to follow Christ. He's saying something very interesting. Listen to what he's saying. I'm dead. He's saying, I'm dead. I am crucified with Christ. I, 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 I'm living the life of the cross. I've taken up my own death. And I've said, I'm no longer alive to me, but I'm alive in Christ. I am crucified with Christ. So just like Christ went to that cross and died, I, the old me, died on that cross with him. And he said, I'm crucified with Christ, but nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Now, the life I'm living right now, I don't live by the old me, but I live by the love and the faith of the Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm no longer the old me, I'm the new me. Amen. What is your cross? What does the cross represent? It means take up your death and follow me. Take up your sacrifice, your personal sacrifice and follow me Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 we just uh, we just talked about it but I want to I want to share with you that Paul also recognized this happening in this relationship with Jesus so so like 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 through 20 he says do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God read this with me everybody out loud you are not your own <laughs> so the next time you're deciding, man, should I do this or should I not do this? You better talk to your owner first. How many of you have ever rented something from somebody? Anybody ever rented anything like rented a house? 
Well, before you decided to whole revolutionize that house on the inside because you have these tastes and these desires and these designs that you want in your house, but it's not really your house, it's their house. And so what do you have to do? You have to go talk to who? The owner. And, and that's what we fail to do sometimes in our daily, daily, everyday lives as we're going through doing our thing is we forget to talk to the owner. The apostle Paul said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, now, now listen to me. He's saying you're bought with a price. I know that salvation was free to us. We were enslaved to sin. We were enslaved to the world. We were enslaved to self. We were absolutely in slavery. Jesus paid the price so that we could be set free. He paid our dues. He paid our bail. He paid the price for us. And, and even though we received that free and by grace and by faith, we have to understand there was a price paid. And not only was it a price, but it was the most expensive price ever paid for anything ever. And when we surrender our lives to him because of the price that he paid, then that says to us, we don't belong to me. I don't belong to me. I belong to him. Amen. And then in some cases, our, our, our humanity, our selfish soul <laughs> wants to rebel against Jesus. And I really don't understand why, but it's just because we're flesh and we're carnal sometimes. And, and, and we find ourselves fighting against the will and purpose of God for our lives. Because, because get this, you all know it's true as well as I do for me. Get this, we think, we think, we know better than God for ourselves. Come on, let's just be, everybody just shake your head like this, because it's the truth. We, we, when we make a step that says, I don't care about the will of God, I don't care about the purpose of God, especially as a believer. I mean, if you're not a believer, you, do, you shouldn't care, because you're not connected anyway. This is why a relationship with God is so important. This is why it's not about religion or about going through a list of duties or rules. This is why a relationship with God, a daily relationship with God, studying his word, talking to him, writing the things that are happening in your heart. This is why that is so important because when you get in that daily communion with God, it is renewing you, the Bible says, day by day you are being renewed. What does that mean? It means you are being made less and less like your old self and more and more like the of Christ. Are you with me? Does this make sense to you? So what's Jesus saying to us when he says, take up your cross? He's saying, take the challenge. Because even though salvation is free, discipleship takes effort. And in that same passage of scripture, if you think I'm about to challenge your theology, you need to read that. How many think it's good not to create pretext or subtext, but just take the context? How many think that's a good idea? It's sad that because we don't study the Bible enough that we don't understand when we're doing that. But the truth is a lot of times we do it because we quote that scripture. We're saved by faith through grace not of works, lest any man should boast. And we stop 
right there. But the Bible literally in that same context says, but we were saved unto good works. So this idea that being saved is just now you're the same person, but you got uh, an in to the gates of heaven. They're going to stamp your card when you come. That is not the way this works. Now God says you're saved. Now let's do something with your life. What I originally created you for. What my purpose is for you. Now let's put that to work. Now grow with me. It's like a father and a child saying, come on, let me teach you how to grow up and mature. And so when Jesus called disciples, he placed a challenge before them. Go show me, I please, 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 somebody do this after service today. Please go and find in the Gospels where Jesus took this approach. I'm really good. I'm really good. I'm a righteous, per I'm perfect. And I'm so good. And I would just love it. It would be great. If you would consider maybe possibly, if you think about it, if you think I'm good enough for you, would you please, may be I'm, I'm begging, please, please come. Be a part of my team. F please find that for me. Because that's kind of how we in modern day Christianity approach this whole Christian thing. That's not what Jesus said at all. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross, Follow me. Now, now listen very carefully to me here. Listen very carefully. We have to get this because sometimes we delineate between, well, I'm, a, I'm an American saved Christian, but I'm not a disciple. Disciples are those people who are really, really committed to Jesus. That is baloney. It's not biblical. You made that up. Jesus is calling us all to be disciples. Put, put away, put away those childish things, he says. Put, put, put away those old ways. Put, put away those things that keep you and hold you and limit you and steal from you. Put away those lusts. Put, put, put away those sins. Put away those wrong thinking. Put away those mindsets that hinder. Put it away and grab a hold of the throne of God under the unction of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus and allow God to deposit the righteousnesses in Him to be the righteousness in you and take the challenge to follow Jesus. So when Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, He was saying, I want you to live the life of the cross. That sounds so inspiring, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't that just make you go, woo? No, I didn't say, Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll give you millions of dollars. Now, that doesn't mean that people who follow Christ and have those gifts and strengths and God's given them the gift of giving that he wants them to be blessed so they can be a blessing won't experience that. They can experience that. But it will come. It will come with its challenges. Somebody say Amen. Just like if your life is different, you're going to come with some challenge. But Jesus didn't say, please, 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 I'll give you everything if you come follow me. No, he said, he said, look, if you'll take this up, I'm telling you, I know what's best for you. And if you'll take this up and you'll follow me and you'll surrender to me, I'm telling you, your life will be better than you could ever make it on your own. And let me can just tell you, I can tell you from a personal perspective, that is the absolute truth. 
I fought God for a long time saying, no, I'm, I can do it. I'll make my own decisions. And let me tell you something. I made, I don't know about y'all, but I made a mess of that. And then when I finally surrendered to Jesus, he changed everything. So he's saying, live the life of the cross. So the first thing on your notes there, you see the C. The first thing he, he did when he said, I'm, I want you to live the life of the cross, when he said, take up your cross, he was saying, the life of the cross is a challenge. The life of the cross is one of courage and conviction. How do we know that? Because Jesus lived the life of the cross and his life took courage and conviction. I need everybody in this room to say amen just so I know you're hearing me. Some of y'all just staring at me like, what? Like, do I have, is my zipper undone? What's going on? Uh, the life of the cross is one of courage and conviction. When Jesus calls us, he places a challenge in front of us, and that challenge is this, follow me. I was watching a basketball game the other day, and the guy at halftime was doing Simon Says, and he's like the master of Simon Says, and he was making those people just, just I mean, absolutely uh, uh, I mean, he would say, Simon says this, Simon says that, Simon says this, and he would just give a command, and people would go, and he'd say, you're out, you know, and it was his pleasure to put people out. Now, I'm just going to tell you, it's not God's pleasure to put anyone out, but sometimes that's how life is. Sometimes we have all these opportunities and all these things in front of us and all this stuff happening, and we aren't waiting to hear what Simon says. We're not waiting to hear what God says before we move, before we go. We're not asking God can I go? Can I move? Should I raise my left hand or should I lift my left leg or should, what is it? I want to be in that kind of relationship with God where he is guiding and directing my life. Not where I'm waiting around because I'm going to tell you, if you get in that kind of flow with God, he will not have you sitting, just waiting. He will have you moving and doing. Our role and responsibility is to embrace the challenge, to go for it. Turn your neighbor right now, look him in the face and say with emphasis, go for it. Out, you got pitiful, pitiful. Try that again, one more time. Everybody online, if you're if you're watching by yourself, say it to yourself. Uh, say, everybody, say it right now. Say, go for it. That's our job. That's our role in this. When God places the challenge to follow Him, the the, the next thing we should do is just go for it. I love when Jesus came to the disciples, Peter. I mean, J James and John and Andrew and Peter. And he said, follow me. What does the Bible say they did? They dropped their nets and followed him. Amen. They dropped everything and followed him. I remember uh, I had done uh, about probably 15 or 20 years ago. I had done... Uh, almost 20 years ago. I had done every kind of ministry there is to do. I've done worship ministry. I've done kids ministry. I've done a, a senior pastor ministry. I had done... Um, uh, uh, evangelistic ministry. I had done everything you can think of as it pertains to a ministry role. I've been doing this for a long time, and I'm telling you, I tried everything, but I never had an interest in missions. I just didn't have an interest in going overseas and doing anything like that. It just wasn't something I did, and it probably because I grew up in a denominational church and every time we would have a guest missionary come in, it was the worst Sunday. It was boring. I mean, for a kid, it was boring, and they were strange, and they were always dressed weird. And, you know, I mean, it was like, what is going on? And it just was not appealing to me. I didn't care. All right, good. You know, I was that guy, literally. I was that guy that you turn in the channels, and that commercial or whatever it is that comes 
on that all the kids are starving. I'm just like, click. I don't want to see that. You know, I, the flies are, I don't want to see it. Click. I just turn, you, you say, pastor, you're supposed to be a loving and compassionate person. Well, how many times you click? We the same. But I remember one time as a church, we had taken the, the idea, the church I was in at the time, we, we were taking the idea of we need to do more around the world. And one of our guys was leading a deal, and the next, next year the pastor wanted uh, to take two trips instead of one. And he said, I need somebody to lead this other one. And we just got in this big discussion of what would it be and where would we go and what would we do. And I don't know what happened. The meeting went on and on, and then well, I need somebody to lead it. I need somebody to lead it. And, and, and I remember we left that meeting with somebody leading it. And once I got outside, I don't know how I didn't catch this, but it was me. I was leading it. And I don't know why, but I said, yeah, I'll do it. I said, I'll do it. I, I literally knew nothing about how to do it, nothing. But all of a sudden, I decided I'm going to take, take a trip over uh, to Cambodia, and I'm going to take a friend of mine who's been in mission ministry for 35, 40 years, and I'm going to have him teach me what he knows. And so we were over there for 10 days, and we scouted out Cambodia, and he just poured into me for 10 days. And I'm telling you, this is the oddest thing, but when I got to Cambodia and began to just engage with the people and began to preach in the churches and begin, he, he said to me, he said, David, I've never seen anything like this. It's like you're a duck in water. He said, I've never seen anyone that has such a fluidity with the, the, the cultural shifts and the, all of it. He said, I don't, I don't know how you're doing this. And I said, me neither, uh, because I've never desired to do this. But God put me in that situation. And in that moment, at the end of that trip, I was about to come home. I was in my uh, a room, my hotel room, and I was in, uh, this is how long ago, we were uh, messaging on the computer. You know how you used to, I am on the computer. Me and Janae was at like 12 midnight where I was and 12 a.m. where she was, I mean p.m. where she was. And so she was on lunch, and we were texting back and forth, and I was like, and then I stopped because as I was telling her the things that I was experiencing, something happened to me. And I broke. And I began to realize all the devastation that had come to that nation. And I realized all the kids in the streets that had nothing and nobody. And I began to think, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What can I do? And God brought back this quote that I'd heard many times. Many times it's attributed to Helen Keller. I don't think she's the first one to say it. But basically the quote is this. If you paraphrase it, and I am. I can do something. But I can't do everything. But I will not allow the fact that I can't do everything keep me from doing the something that I can do. And I begin to meditate on that and I was on the ground literally curled up in a ball crying weeping before God because I had become overwhelmed with a situation that I didn't even know existed and when God put me in that environment he gave me an opportunity he said David will you go and I'm going to be honest with you I didn't want to but you know this many years later if you count all the funds and all the trips, I thought we could do hardly nothing. But millions of dollars and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours and hundreds of people have gone to places that we have led and it has made a huge impact. 
And I just want you to know God never lets you down. He doesn't say, I require that you do this. I'm asking you, I'm giving you this opportunity to do it, but then I'm not going to come alongside you and make it happen. So we have to get to that place where we just say, I'll go for it, God. I'll go for it. And I'm not going to hesitate or wait. If I feel you impressing on my heart to talk to my neighbor, I'll go for it. If I feel you impressing on my heart, this is why that daily relationship with God is so important. Because it matters in the overall doing of Christian life. Because when I'm in such a close relationship with Jesus, it pushes me to do the things that God has called me and purposed for me to do. The second thing is repent. Everybody say repent. repent. The life of the cross is one of humility and change. The life of the cross is one of humility and change. How many of y'all, uh, you just love change? And everybody's like, I don't like change. And you're lying. You love change. No, I don't. You don't know me. You do too love change. You love change when someone else is changing. Come on. Come on. But God is saying the life of the cross is one of humility and change. Because you can't have change unless you're humble enough to do it. To carry our cross, we must repent. Well, the definition of the word repent is to change your mind or change your direction, to turn 180 degrees. This is not a one-time occurrence at salvation, but anytime we get off course, anytime we idolize ourselves over God, then we need to ask him to forgive us and turn and go his way. It is more than saying, I'm sorry. It's literally turning our back on the wrong way and turning our face to God and the right way. That's what repentance is, and it's something that we should be regularly familiar with. Jesus taught us in the prayer, forgive those who've hurt you and ask God to forgive you. That was considered a daily ritual that people should do when he taught us how to do that prayer. Pray every day. And so what he was saying is every day you need to forgive others and every day you need to be forgiven. And with that forgiveness and that repentance, what we realize is it's not just saying, I'm sorry, God. It's saying, I turn from those ways that are not pleasing to you, and I turn towards you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says it this way, and this was the Apostle John writing to the church. He said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And, come on, this is that turn part, and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will not only forgive you of it, but change you in the midst of it. Peter changed from a coward to a man of courage. Why? Because he lived the life of a cross and he repented and said, I'm sorry and I turn. I no longer will follow from a distance, but I'll be your representation. Number three, one day at a time is the, is the next one. Now you can see this is an acrostic and we're we're taking these letters one by one, one day at a time. The life of the cross is a daily life. We've talked about this a bit, but I just want to say it again. The life of the cross is a daily life. It's not a weekly life. It's not a weekend life. It's not a once-a-month life. It's not an Easter life or a Christmas life. It is a daily life. This challenge that Jesus has placed before us, a daily life to have relationship, to have, to, 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 what are we talking about? It is a daily life. 
opportunity and privilege to actually know Jesus, be in his presence, talk to him, have him talk to us. Come on, what are we doing here? What do we have to? No, no, no. We get to have relationship with Jesus. We get to. The king of all kings, the creator of all things, has given you an opportunity to talk to him every day. What are you talking about? I have to. No, you, you, you should run to the throne. You, you should run to the closet of prayer. You should run to the time of devotion. You should run. You should get up in the morning and I can't wait to get to that time and that place where I'm going to take the challenge and read the word and pray and seek the face of God because I need to be in the presence of Jesus and my king has given me access. Come on somebody. You should be praising God for the opportunity to live the life of the cross daily. This is the word daily comes in. The concept of daily is a spiritual principle, and it's related to trusting God. In the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, what did he say? Give us this day our daily bread. What is he saying? He's saying, let me worry about everything else. You follow me today. If you'll be in a daily relationship with me, I've apportioned to you your needs to be met today. You just reach out to me in prayer. You just relate to me. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. Come on. That's because David understood this daily walk and worship and relationship with God. Tomorrow we're celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And one of the things he said that I really gleaned from, he said, in a real sense, faith is total surrender to God. That's what it is. Think about the disciples. If you're asking, will I be a disciple? Think about the, the literal life of the disciples where they did not know what they were doing day to day. They were just like, Jesus, wherever you go, that's where we're going. Jesus, whatever you say, that's what we're saying. Jesus, whatever you do, that's what we're doing. Think about if we made that little slight adjustment in our life every day. Are you with me? For some of y'all are. You're like, I'm just not ready for all this. Come on. Come on. What's wrong with you? Take the challenge. Take the challenge. If I told you, if I told you there were $5 million under that drum set, and whoever got here first could have it. No strings attached. I bet you, you get some motivation. How many of you think no one even hesitate? It would be, a, it would be a, like a, a royal jungle in the rumble in the jungle up in here. Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It would be like, get, excuse me, pastor. I mean, I mean, come on. Except you'd have to beat me and I'm a lot closer than you. It's all... In what we value. And the thing about being valuing the kingdom of God and the presence of God and a relationship with God is God rewards those who value Him. The fourth thing is seek. The life of the cross is a life of looking for a deeper and higher relationship with God. Matthew 7, 7 through 8 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Now you have to understand 
this passage of scripture was written in the aorta's tense verb. And what that means is it should really read like this. Ask and continue to ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and continue to seek and you shall find. Knock and continue to knock and the door will be open to you. And this has given us an indicator of how we are to follow Christ. It's not seek God once and hope he shows up. It's seek until you find. That's basically what it means. And that's the life of this relationship that we have with Jesus. Matthew 6, we all know it, probably quote it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Don't seek them, seek him. Everybody say that with me. Don't seek them, seek him. One more time. Don't seek them, seek him. Scripture in Psalms 105 verse 4 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. First Chronicles 16.10 says, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call up on him while he is near. And Acts chapter 17 verse 27 says, This was so that they would seek God, for perhaps they might grasp for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. There is this posture that the life of the cross produces in us, and that posture is this. Seek, seek, forward thinking, forward moving, reaching out, grasping for, trying to get to, until I find the treasure, I will not stop seeking for the treasure. I don't know why I just had a flashback to, oh, brother, where art thou? Do not go near the treasure. If you've ever seen that, you'd love that. Anyway, the fifth thing is this, surrender. Surrender. Seek and surrender. The life of the cross is a life of spiritual surrender. Much of the time when change is required or happening, uh, uh, the question that I asked a while ago will affect our thinking. Uh, do you like change? Most people say, no, I don't like change. But the truth is that what people struggle with when it comes to change it's not the change. It's the fact of whether or not they're going to embrace the change. That's the struggle. It's this inward conflict that we have inside of us that says, I'm just not, I mean, I've struggled with this in organizations many times where I try to help people understand when they don't like the changes their boss made or they don't like the changes that, the policy changes that were made on there. And they just, oh, this ain't right. And this and that. And, and, and if they would just stop and embrace the change, there would be none of that conflict or hardship or difficulty. I'm not saying you don't have a right to think it or a right to have an opinion to it, but a lot of the conflict and angst and anxiety in our life comes out of a result of us not being willing to surrender. We just want it our way. I mean, that's what Adam and Eve struggled with. That's what humanity struggles with. I just want it my way. Yeah, God, yeah, God. I, I see that's what you want, but I want it my way. This is what I like, God. This is what I want, God. And God's saying, I have something better for you. How many of you have ever seen that cartoon picture of the little girl where Jesus is saying, give me your little bitty, give me your little bitty baby doll and, and, and a little, it was a little stuffed animal. Give me a little stuffed animal. And she was like holding it and doing this. And behind his back, he had a huge one. 
that he wanted to trade her. And a lot of times that's what it's like in serving God. We don't see what's on the other side of that sacrifice. We don't see it. And what we need to do is go back to that Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when it says, be not conformed to this world. But before that, here's what it says. Paul said, I beg of you, brothers, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, God doesn't want it necessarily to martyr yourself, but God does want you to live like you would. He wants you to live in a way that says, I know this is what I want. I acknowledge this is what I want. But God, if this is what you want, I'm willing to shift everything and move in your direction because I know you know what's best. Much of the time, that's the struggle that we're having. It's an internal struggle, whether, whether or not we're going to embrace it. And as we grow in our relationship with God, change happens. Growth happens. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Word of God corrects us. And we have an opportunity to surrender our will to His will. This is called submission. Everybody say that word with me really loud. Submission. This is the life of the cross. It is the acknowledgement that Jesus knows best for me. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is all present. He loves me. He cares for me. He wants his best for me. And I just need to surrender to the idea of I don't know what he knows. And I can't do what he does. And I can't be everywhere all the time. But he can, and he loves me. Martin Luther King Jr. also said, every genuine expression of love grows out of a consistent and total surrender to God. I love this old hymn. I love it. Because when I sing it, I feel it. And it speaks a, a a definite prayer and you all know it all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all sing it with me right now i surrender all i surrender all all to thee my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Surrender is when a person who feels the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the correction of God's word and immediately or quickly embraces it. We are saying, I don't have to fight for my way. I don't have to rebel. I have the freedom to just say yes.
and turn away from sin and self and turn towards God. Listen to me very carefully. When this is our daily practice, then when God asks us to do something, when he impresses it on our heart, something we should do, or his word points out something that we should do, it becomes a natural response for us to just do it. So my challenge to you today is let's make a decision to live the life of the cross. To just say, God, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. Would you stand with me? You know, it's hard to explain. It's never easy to explain to anyone, let alone a congregation, the responsibility that a pastor feels. And in my preparation for this series, I have just felt such a responsibility to teach you this daily discipleship, this daily walk with God. Because I want God's best for you. You may not realize it, but me and my family, we pray for you. We pray for your families. We pray for your whole lives. And my desire, even, even people who aren't here yet, we pray for. Even people who come every once in a while, we pray for. Even people, we pray for you all. And the reason is because we believe God wants to do something so special in your life. And he wants to make a difference in your life. And he wants your life to make a difference and to count. And so when I was preparing for this series, and I, I know it's a shift in thinking. I know that we've been talking discipleship for a year. And I know we've made goals. And we want every person who calls himself a, a Summit Church person. We've, we've said our goal is that every one of us are discipling at least one person within a certain time frame. And that time frame will be about six months from now is when we, we've been, because we've been talking about this for over a year. Because we know that God has said to us, Jesus has said, you don't need to improve on my methodology. I showed you how to do this. Now just teach people how to do it. And that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm teaching you how to put your heart in the right posture before God, how to have a daily relationship with Him. And here's what I know. Here's what I know because we've, we've seen the research that if you and I will commit ourselves to studying the Word of God, just a chapter a day, and asking God the question, what are you saying to me? And then praying and writing our prayers out and journaling. We know if we consistently do that, unbelievably astronomical statistical proof that your life will change if you do that every day. So if you're struggling with something today, that will change your life. You, you might be looking for all kinds of answers and all kinds of solutions and I'm telling you, I don't have another solution for you. I don't have another thing for you. I've got this. Jesus, that's all I got. And I'm telling you, that's all you need. Get in His Word, seek His face, listen to His voice, speak to Him, 
And I'm telling you, if you do that daily and consistently, it will change your life. And you know what else it'll do? It'll increase your faith and increase your voice. The statistics show, listen to this, the statistics show that people that do that at least four times a week, that the, the sharing your faith, sharing your faith with someone else went up 247%. Now think about that. You say, I just don't know how to do it. I just don't know what to do. All you have to do is every day build that relationship with Jesus. And what happens naturally starts coming out of you. You stop avoiding conversations. You stop worrying about this and that. You hear what I'm saying to you? So come on, take the challenge, live the life of the cross, put your way down, pick Jesus' way up, put the old man down and bring Jesus. This is what Apostle Paul said, every day I crucify the old man. Every day I die to myself. Come on, that's what we're here to do. Pick up Jesus, put down the world. Pick up Jesus, put down sin. Pick up Jesus, put down my own way. Pick up Jesus' will and put down my stubborn pride. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. Is this touching your heart? Is this inspiring your mind? Is this engaging you? I hope it is because that's what I expect. So here's what I want to do. I want you to grab the hand of your neighbor and we're going to say our confession. It's going up on the screen. And I want you to say this with conviction. And I want you to believe this in your heart. And everyone say it with me out loud and bold. Ready, go. Here at Summit, we are connecting with God and each other through deep abiding relationships. As disciples of Jesus, we are committed to grow in our faith and church community. We are inspired to carry the gospel into the world locally and globally. Now listen, with emphasis, on the count of three, say this together. One, two, three. Let's go. Father, I thank you for your word today. And I ask you to teach us and encourage us and inspire us. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you know you need to make a decision to follow him, I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But this is a moment for you if you feel the Holy Spirit convicting your heart. I'm asking you a question. Are you ready to follow Jesus? Are you ready to decide to follow him? If that's you and you're in this place, you know you need to be forgiven of your sins. You know your life needs to change. If that's you, say I'm going to lift my hand and I want to say to my pastor right now or the pastor that's standing up there, I need to make this decision. If that's you, just lift your hand up real high. I want to see it. Anyone, if you're here, I just want you to know you can make this decision today. We are here with you and for you and we're following Jesus and we want you to follow him with us. If that's you, just lift your hand up real high and say, Pastor, it's me. Anyone. Okay. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you will make us a church that shares our faith so much 
that we never have a Sunday where someone's giving their life to Jesus. But not only that, but Lord, they give their life to Jesus every Sunday. But Lord, I pray that you'll put an anointing on our church where people are giving their life on Sunday and following you on Monday and following you on Tuesday and deciding to follow you on Wednesday and deciding to follow you on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And that, that our people of this house will be so full of your spirit that they can't help but lead others to follow you. And in Jesus' name, we pray this and we believe it to happen and we give you glory and praise for all that you do. In Jesus' name, we pray and everybody said amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap of praise for his. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.